Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Daffy's Roundtable. Today, Daffy's Roundtable is once again going international. <laughs> okay, so we've had guests from Australia. We've had guests from Germany. Today, we have our first guest from the Netherlands. I am super excited about this episode. Our guest today is fascinating. He is Stefan from the Terrarium channel. Um, and in today's episode, we talk about, first of all, the differences between reptile keeping in Europe and Netherlands and the rest of the world. Um, but we also discuss some of the super rare species that he is breeding and working with. We talk about how he brewmates them, and we talk about his experiences working with these species in general. Um, I'm talking about, I'm not even going to bother with the species names, but super rare turtles. And most importantly, one of the ones that I'm fascinated with that we focus very heavily on in this episode is Lanthanotis. So the earless, the Borneo earless monitor. Fascinating species, fascinating guest. Fascinating episode. I think you're all going to really enjoy it. But before we do that, allow me to thank Exoterra for sponsoring this podcast and making this episode possible. Exoterra makes quality products for our pet reptiles to make them feel at home. Okay, without further ado, everybody, please help me welcome Stefan of the Terrarium channel. <laughs> Stefan, hello. Hello, good evening. Good evening, or good, uh, yeah, well, I guess depending on where you are in the world, uh, you are in Netherlands, so good evening to you. <laughs> uh, thank you, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much for joining us, man. This is, uh, I'm super excited for this episode. I've been trying to, as I was telling you before the episode, I've been trying to branch out, to, trying to get people from all over the different worlds so we can kind of all get the hobby together and learn from each other and all that kind of stuff. And you are our first guest from Netherlands, and I'm super excited to hear about kind of how the hobby works over there. And the, and the species that you're working with, because you're working with super, super cool species that um, over here, it, they're considered even rare just to see in like as a pet or, or like just one or two people having them in their collections, but you're breeding them and you're working with them. Um, so yeah, this is gonna be a super exciting episode. I'm excited to dive in. So maybe let's just start right off. How did you get into the hobby um, and then progress from there? How did, actually, you know what? How did you get into the hobby? Let's just start there. Let's start there. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, for, uh, thank you for having me on again. Um, how it started with me, I, th I think the story is the same as with a lot of people. When I was young, I was, you know, nature was fast, really fascinating to me. It was a bit of a nerd. And I say that with, with you with know, pride. grace. Yeah, with pride. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, I used to play with my dinos and my Lego and whatever. And I remember I was at a friend. And I was uh, playing at his house and the, 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 his parents had a big terrarium with two Felsma Madagascariensis, the Madagascar giant day geckos. Yeah. And uh, I was just so like, whoa, like what is, is this, you know, is this possible? I've, I've mentioned this before. It's like, is this possible? This is just insane. This is so, so cool. And from that point on, my parents, I wouldn't let it go. And my dad, he owned the bookstore, so that was perfect. So he was like, okay, if you're into this, prove it. So he gave me books and uh, uh, the, the computer was just starting to be found in the homes. So it tells you a bit about my age. Um, <laughs> so we we're just learning about internet and scanning. So I was scanning books and making my own books and whatever. And I believe when I was eight or nine, maybe 10, that's when I got my first First animals my dad helped me build some um and uh, we built our first uh, terrarium ourselves That's awesome. and then i got my first animals at a at a reptile show there were already reptile shows so that was really cool it was a blue teal skink 
Nice. Okay, so yeah, yeah right, right away with a blue uh, uh, a blue tail or sorry, blue tongue or blue tail? Blue tail. The, the oh, okay. it was called Mabuya. I believe it was a multifasciata, something like that. And then awesome. there were also tachydromas and annuls. You know, in those days, you just bought what you liked and put them in your terrarium. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you you said you said um, expos were already happening. Is this like? Are you talking about like traveling to like the Ham Expo? I don't know how far that is from you. Or were expos happening in in the Netherlands? Actually, they were in the Netherlands. The the they were almost more than they are now. There are only a few big ones now. Wow. Okay. Uh, and in the past, there were a lot of small ones, and there were a lot of uh, societies, or at least one that was really prevalent, um, La Suta. And uh, they have many small like gatherings for people to trade their captive bread or what they imported. So, uh, yes, I believe, I don't know, I think it was 10. So uh, being on a reptile show like that was, was mind-blowing to me. Of course, of yeah, course, yeah. Absolutely I crazy. I don't think I went to my first reptile show until I was like 15 or 16. And that. I, like, I, I can remember how crazy that was. So I, I wish it was 10. Like, that's, yeah, amazing. And then, so did you stay in the hobbies? You keep getting more animals? Like, how did the, how did the hobby progress for you from there? Yeah, when, when uh, how do I say this, it, my life has been a bit, uh, my youth has been a bit chaotic. So there were some on and off moments, depending on what was possible. I didn't always live at home, but whenever I could, I was having animals, sometimes one or two, sometimes a bit more. And even if I didn't have them, I was always in my head, I was busy with them, dreaming about setups, uh, species I wanted to keep, buying books, uh, I was, I was yeah. pretty poor, so I stole books, I'm sorry, from the <laughs> school library. And I, I kept them at home and just kept reading and reading them. And luckily, there were a few people in my surroundings that noticed. So there were old magazines. I still have them. Those are magazines that are older than me. And uh, I was reading them constantly. And I still know them front to back pretty much. That's so, uh, awesome. Yeah. Very, very yeah. cool. So you kept doing your research, kind of stayed in the hobby. And when yeah. did the birth of Terrarium Channel happen? Well, uh, the Terrarium Channel, I started in 2018. But the, how do I say, the, 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 the liftoff when, when it really took some, some, some uh, volume, you know, the way I kept the animals and, uh, and yeah. my collection. And of course, there were some changes, but it started when I was 18. Because when you are 18, um, the state says, oh, you're, you're adult now, so you can take care of your own. Yes. So they were like, bye-bye, was out of all the homes. And then I was able to live somewhere where I could keep animals. And that was the point. I had a small, you know, a job. And I started getting some money and I got my uh, study funds and whatever. And then, then it went crazy. So that's when it started. And since then, it has never stopped. But the nice. uh, channel was 2018. Yeah. Nice. And, and, yeah. and your channel's sort of primarily focused on showing, or, or maybe maybe you, you let us know what, what, what is the concept of Terrarium channel, what is it based on? Um, I, I sort of did my research before this and I watched some of your videos and I like the way you sort of present and how you're, you're, you're going about showing other people's collections as well. Um, so yeah, you maybe tell us a little bit about the, the channel and the, the concept behind it. Yeah, of course. Um, at the start, it was, it was, a bit of a monetary decision also not uh, it, it, it there were two main reasons uh, one was i used to have a pet store i quit i still wanted to have a web store with some products and i figured uh, there was a lot of info on the on that web store 
And I figured the best way to connect this with the potential audience is via reviews, YouTube, whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the other reason was, and, and I still feel that a little bit, is that a lot of the videos that I saw about uh, the way I was experiencing my, my hobby um, did not like reflect the way the way I saw it or the way I approach it or the way I see a lot of people in my surrounding approach it. So it was a bit of disconnect. So I felt like, oh, maybe there's something to add there. And then over time, it has evolved a bit from showing my own collection and the way I approach things to more and more, uh, yeah, the desire to show the the European herpetoculture, like how do people approach their 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 collection, how you just say it, and their care and their philosophy behind it, and really practical stuff. And I I enjoy that by far the most. So uh, th those this is definitely the the focus. Most of the videos will be from that uh, yeah angle with that goal, I should say. And I hope to expand on that more and more. Yeah, that's awesome. And and so like maybe we'll we'll piggyback off that. Um, hmm. you 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 said like showing her pediculture in Europe. How do you find that it differs? Like just obviously based on pictures or whatever you've seen, how do you find that it differs in Europe or maybe even more specifically in the Netherlands versus the rest of the world? Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> it, it, it seems to be discussed a lot. I actually said to some friends today, including Flo. You know, thank you, Flo. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> like uh, it's it's interesting how how fascinated people seem to be with the differences between the the herpetoculture in the states and in canada in asia and europe yeah and, and it is very interesting you know it just shows how different people are in their cultures but i think the difference in europe is the way i experience it is that it's often from a bit different approach a more naturalistic approach already uh, maybe that's, but that's again how, how, you know, through the web, I see stuff right. and I ex am exposed to how other people keep their animals and what is presented out there. But most yeah. of the European keepers, at least the one that in my surrounding, they were more from a naturalistic point, like from the start. When, when I started, um, it was logical to use live plants. It was logical to use a natural substrate. It was light was always important you know that was never really different to us and yeah. we also had the the euro style terrariums you know with the ventilation beneath the window beneath them, yes going out and it was so strange to me that you you did not really see that i saw a lot of aquariums with lids and yes. a simple stop substrate and um i almost feel like the the rack and top keeping was introduced to us and from was, from over here yeah yeah was yeah yeah, yeah. To us. And, and you guys sort of introduced your your kind of keeping to over here i i, I kind of yeah. I, I guess i kind of do see that as well yeah that, that does make sense so that was, was yes it was, it was funny a while ago i was looking at a also listening to podcasts and they were also discussing like how they started and what the info they were shown and for though for them the basis was the, that simple style of keeping because that's what they were exposed to that was that was normal to them and uh i was like but when how this is this, this is not this is not old school you know top keeping is not old school this is 
this is new. This so is new, maybe yeah. that represents how maybe I'm getting too old or I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I've spoken to several people and I asked this question quite frequently on the podcast and I, and many people have given me a similar response to you. Mm. I do think that I think someone, someone, I can't remember who it was, but someone put it best. It was like the, the idea of multiple keeping and keeping as many animals in one room as possible is is more of a westernized idea whereas you guys it was always the aim of like keep keep one animal in the most elaborate setup that you can hmm. whereas now it's kind of merging and everyone like i i didn't know that you guys were more getting more and more into tubs but as, as you're saying now but on this side of things everyone's getting more and more into the naturalistic keeping and bioactive has become super popular and now people are you know getting less animals bigger tanks and everything so it is it is interesting to see the crossover for sure, and I and you see that in general all over the hobby. I think people are moving towards that direction again, and not just with the terrarium reptile hobby, but with animal care in general. We we move towards more that that side again. But it is something that that moved our way. I would almost say, at least the way I experienced it. And uh, I think there's also a bit of a difference that there there are people who make a living now from either breeding reptiles, uh, either certain morphs or import export or, um, but I feel like most of the people here started from simple fascination. Yes. And we, we don't directly think about it like, oh, how can, ma- how can I make money on this? How you know, can I turn this into a business immediately? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It can evolve into that or maybe it happens organically, but the way it's presented to me, it doesn't seem like uh, that's the the start here okay yeah that absolutely yeah. makes sense yeah yeah awesome okay so from there um what about species wise do you feel like there's a big diversity or a big difference in the species that you guys are keeping over there versus the ones we're keeping over here because i feel like when i look over there i'm like how are you guys keeping this species or how did you get your hands on this one and for us they're like impossible to find and then yeah. and this is very much leading into some of the species that you're working with that we'll get into in just a second. But like, do you find that there's a big difference in some of the species we're keeping? You know, I I, I feel like, I don't know if our, our, our selection of animal re- animals really is that more diverse. I think in the, in the broader scheme there is, um, and, and that's for several reasons, could be that the, the, the hobby, the way it's done here, you know, people are more interested in more of those lesser known species and constantly trying to about le- learn about new species. We are also, I think, a bit lucky that we are connected to Asia, connected to Northern Africa. Yes. Um, and that helps. Yeah, it makes it a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, especially because in uh, Europe, uh, we almost only abide by by situs laws when there is any form of protection for the animals. Okay. Um, so that has caused for some animals to end up in our hobby that that came here in you know with a detour, I should say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not um, necessarily in the most right way. No, no, no. And that's not and that's there's also now that's different. Now they are full on. They really are full on uh, checking everything, and we yes. need to provide history on all the animals, especially sides, but also you know. And we have of course our uh, local and our native uh, protection laws, and 
we have a union list and invasive species list certain species we are not allowed to keep anymore but i think that's that's a part of it you obviously have a very beautiful saltwater tank behind you uh yeah, right now <laughs> is is it are the laws um the same when it comes to saltwater keeping there is actually uh some some cytos laws on on corals but you just have to keep a receipt you don't have to do the whole administration like you like you need to do with uh with reptiles you know you have to co complete history and appendage documents um so it's not as strict because most of it happens before it even gets here i think but i'm not too well versed on this yet you know and of course there's also plants with cytus and wood with cytus and all, yeah. all, all, all the skeletons whatever yeah um, so sure. yeah and like i mentioned there there are more and more laurels in in europe there are more and more countries or uh, councils that, for instance, ban the keeping of venomous animals. Belgium has a very strict law. Uh, we have more and more positive lists, as they call it. So you are only allowed to keep animals that are on that list. On that list, yeah, yeah. yeah I think so they call the, the white lists over here or something. Okay. It's yeah. probably exactly the same. same Everything thing. that's on the list, you can keep. If it's not on the list... Not, you can't keep it. Yeah. Too exactly. bad. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and currently it's the other way around like i'm i'm allowed to keep almost everything whether it's venomous or big or small or whatever wow uh, unless it's on a certain list and they okay. are gonna flip that around but there are many countries in in europe and that makes it difficult sometimes for keepers that had different different laws then yeah. we of course we have switzerland that's like in the middle of europe but not connected to europe so if you want to import or export you know that's also a thing yeah. Are, yeah are you guys involved does the hobby cross over with them because i do know there are quite a few keepers over there as well yeah for sure for sure you just you need to apply for paperwork for for oh, okay almost every every size animal i believe yeah okay yeah. that's interesting and you said in your area it's like the the laws are pretty loose so you, you can keep venomous you can keep uh large animals no problem yeah yeah that's interesting okay yeah see in my in my area specifically in my like city um nothing over six foot no venomous um no, nothing from the iguana family mm. nothing yeah like the bylaws are crazy i, I mean like mm. probably for the better um you know like yeah, stuff like venomous but who knows can i ask you a question about that because yeah um sorry. we we get the positive list of course and there's more and more and a lot of people are saying like when you introduce these lists then the chance of animals being kept illegally uh, it's gonna increase. increase. Oh, increases. sorry. No, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In increases. So more and more, uh, the people they want to keep their animals if it's allowed or not. So they are gonna keep them, and then they are gonna keep them, you know, hidden away. And if something gets sick, doesn't get help, or if something escapes, nobody wants to claim that animal. So you cause more problems. And I'm not really sure if that's the case, but is that something you like experience? Like, of course, you don't have to say, oh, yeah, that person I know keeps this and that. But yeah, yeah. do you do you see in the in the hobby that there are keepers with animals that shouldn't be there? Uh, or is it? it yes. Like, yes. So so I just so just so I, just to clarify, I, 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 I don't know if I made it sound like we have a whitelist. Hmm. We don't have a whitelist. Hmm. Um, they're trying to introduce it in certain provinces in Canada. We have sort of what you have, so we can keep anything except for what's on the list. Mm, okay. But, but 
there is so many things on that list. It's a very, very big do not keep list. I'm no like lawmaker or, or anything like that. But I think it, in general, I think the tighter the laws, the more the black market exists, yeah. right? Like it, they're, they're absolutely available. They're around, they're being sold. And I don't see how the law enforcers can shut them down <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it doesn't seem like they could, they would be able, how are you going to know what everyone's hiding in their basement? Right. No, probably not. It's just probably much cheaper and easier to enforce than um, having all these because the alternative is standards. Yes. You know? Standards, and, permits, yeah. uh, all these things. Yeah. Which yeah. I mean, I think is the better direction, right? Like certain people being able to get permits to keep the animals, not a bad idea, but that, but then mm. nobody else should be able to access these animals. And, and like you said, if these animals are being acquired illegally, then when they're getting sick, they're not getting the help. Like all of these mm. are very good, valid points that aren't even being, I don't think they're even being talked about in the conversation over here. Right. Like, no, I think, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I think also the goal often is, is simply to eradicate pet keeping. Many under, people's goals under, that under the umbrella of uh, welfare, but the animals where the most issues are, are still you're still able to keep. But that's a different question. But I did wonder about that because that's yeah. a situation they warn about here, but it's not a situation, of course, that I have experienced or seen in my surroundings. I sometimes see an animal somewhere that you know is questionable, but not yeah. uh, questionable to to that length. Yeah, no, it absolutely exists. It absolutely mm. exists. And I mm. think, and to add to that, because that's also another very good point that you bring up, it's like of the umbrella, I think they're also, I think the word exotic, mm. um, they're they, they trying to umbrella us in with the exotic animals, which is like people that are keeping tigers and lions and all these big exotic animals. And they think that all oh, reptile keepers should be put in the same class and really... I think we're closer to people in the aquarium keeping hobby than we are to people in that hobby, right? But yeah. anyway, let's get into some more interesting sure. stuff. Um, you have some really cool species that I want to talk about. So let's get into that. What are um, what are some of the species you're currently keeping? Uh, yeah, you want a list? No, it's not. I, I just I made a list actually uh, earlier this week to, to get out of you. But <laughs> I... I, I Okay, so in the basis, I keep animals that are from, from Asia, um, simply because uh, to me, they are fascinating and also to um, prevent myself from getting overboard. You know, sometimes everything is interesting. I just decided, okay, let's stick to that to prevent I go absolutely crazy. And I'm currently focusing on mostly on, on, on turtles and a few tortoises from Asia. So I have the Sakalia. The, uh, both species, the platysternum, which is Chinese big-headed turtle, some Seaborchiella, my Lyamis. I have my Manoria, the uh, Burmese mountain tortoises, also the Manoria impressa, which is pretty um, yeah, exciting for people across the pond, as they say, and uh, also in Europe, by the way. And Oh, yeah, um, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I believe there's some Kuora, but those are on the breeding loan, so that project will eventually eventually end and then i have a few lizards the of which the most popular by far on the channel and for everybody's salon to notice those are everybody yes. loves those which yes. i fully understand yes 
And uh, next to that, I have the Ceratophora tenenti, which I had for a year now, the Sri Lankan leaf nose lizard, I believe. Those are so cool as well. Yeah, really cool. We're still figuring them out, I gotta be honest. I have them for a small year now, and not not totally there yet, I should say. And I have the Shinisaurus, but I have decided to let those go. So those will leave uh, soon. Um, like Like any person in this hobby, everything is fascinating and everything i see is like ooh. <laughs> uh, but i try to also because you know life is changing i try to have a few less species but bigger groups of the species that i have so yeah that's that's what i'm mainly mainly focusing on yeah absolutely and I, i'm also trying to do the same thing less species uh more projects of the same species kind of hmm. you know focus your energy instead of like being sporadic because because you're right once people enter this hobby it's there's so many species it's hard not to get lost um but okay so there is a bit of a trend in the species you're keeping hmm. which is it seems like a lot of them like water um so why why paludariums why semi-aquatic reptiles why tortoises um what 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 is it about your hobby that that you love or why why do you love paludariums so much i guess simply put yeah I, I i to me like the aquarium terrarium hobby somehow have have always been pretty much the same just like you said with this, this type of keepers and i i don't i did not really know why but i think it's because uh you're looking at the same uh, range of you know uh, things you need to think about when it comes to climates and, and parameters and light and all that stuff and to me, a paludarium is just the ultimate combo of moving water, animals and creatures living in the water, above the water, plants, roots in the water. It's just, it's just, yeah, the, the ultimate combo to me. And to find animals that fit into that is is absolutely uh, perfect. And to me, it's also a bit of a care thing because I think a, a well-running aquarium slash paludarium is of course, there's upkeep, you know, I spend a lot of time on my animals. But in comparison to, to a tub with only substrate and a water bowl, a paludarium for me is much less work. Because with a paludarium or with my turtles, and except for the daily checkup and feeding and maybe some, some moving some things around, in comparison, that's only a short period. While with tubs, or, and I've done that. I've bred blood pythons, you know, the Piton Bongers Mai, all the other different colors. Um, I used to have them in racks and, and different snakes too. And it was such a hassle to, to open them up and I get the water bowl out and I clean the water bowl and, and then check if there's poop and you get the poop out and all this. And somehow it's felt like way more work in a much less stimulating environment, like towards me and towards the animals. Like, Oh, so this boring work in a boring environment and it takes me a lot of time while you can have like this nice showpiece with all these incredible elements that you can find in nature and you can combine them and you can make them work together and uh yeah that's way more fun to me it's a little bit easier and and that way i can also work way more efficient you know i have 30 aquariums i think with turtles and then and then this thing um, but I can drain them within the hour. So it's, right. it's perfect to me. 
Yeah, water changes for everyone really quickly. Okay, so yeah. I, I I love your answer. I love your answer. I was hoping you would go that direction as well because I also love paludariums and I also think it comes from my like the aquarium keeping portion and wanting to mix it in with everything. So that's what originally got me into paludariums. But then you said something fascinating. You said it's almost like it's easier, um, yeah, and more stimulating for both. So when I started keeping mountain horn dragons. I was originally doing it like that. I had most, and I and I saw, and some of my tanks still are like that, where I have a water bowl um, with a uh, an air stone in it to keep the water bubbling or whatever. Mm -hmm. But those tanks are more work than my paludariums because the paludariums just so everything fits together, right? Like it's it's almost like an ecosystem. So even if uh, it's running water, it's filtered. So even if the dragons do poop in there, there's also fish in there. The fish will eat the poop, or they end up in the filter, or it's. A water uh, 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 every one to two days of changing the water bowl for the tanks, it now goes to a water change once a week or once every two weeks because it's you know even the aquarium portion of the paludarium is planted. I feel like the water is healthier; it's constantly being filtered. So yeah, I absolutely love your answer. I love paludariums. Um, I think that's that's really cool. But okay, so so um, maybe we'll, we'll get into we'll get into the land lantha notice. Um, yeah. Which uh, for everybody listening, that's the the uh, earless earless monitors. I think they call them. The yeah, Bornean earless monitor. In Dutch, we call them dove veran, which means uh, deaf uh, monitor. Okay, um, it's it's very annoying that I mostly speak in in, in um, scientific names. So if you want to switch to, it's just a, a habit. No, no, you're you're completely okay. You're completely okay. okay. I, I I also very frequently, especially when I'm talking about species that I that, hmm. that I work with, I speak with with the the scientific names as well. But I feel like I always like just just to generally get people who are like driving or people who are listening to this and can't get to Google, it's just gonna be like, oh, this is what the species we're we're talking hmm. about okay. is kind of. But yeah, no. So so we will get to them. But before that, let's let's maybe talk about turtles for a second. So, um, lovely. Yeah, it seems you're a big fan of turtles. <laughs> you're keeping many different types of species. Yeah. Uh, what, like, what what do you find? First of all, do you find there is so with some with some species, and I'm sure the 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 monitors are like this as well. Um, there's kind of like a you can see their behavior. They can learn to feed from their tongues. They can come up to you. Do you find the turtles are the same thing? Do they recognize you as the food bringer? Is there sort of uh behavior um because i've only kept ready sliders and i was very young so i haven't kept turtles since and i don't really mm -hmm. i don't even know how it is but yeah how do you find they're similar to lizards in that aspect it, 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 it does depend on the species like they definitely it's funny the ones i keep in glass aquariums or or paludariums when they see me, they will come towards the glass and, and you know, show behavior like, hey, you mean food. Yeah. There's something coming. I need to be alert. Um, the ones I keep in, in tubs, like I have the zoom mat and waterland like tubs. Once I keep in those, they are super shy. When they see me, they might poke out a head, but they, they don't show the same behavior. So that's quite interesting. And it depends a bit on the species. Uh, how far that goes, you know, the same with lizards, you have, you have the monitor lizards and you have the gametes, right. um, you know, the, the, they both react, but a different level. Different levels, yeah. Uh, yeah, and for instance, some turtles, when they see a person, they come towards the glass. So if my sister take care of them when I'm away or somebody else is in my room, person, food, 
You know, that's yeah. that's pretty much how it goes. But when my uh, mountain tortoises, um, the way they react to somebody else and the way they react to me is, is very different. So that's there you see some distinction between persona also. And I, of course, can have many different reasons. But they will, if somebody walks in the room and they don't know that person, they maybe lift up their head, but then they're like, you know, and when they say me, they they come over straight away. Like, oh, this is so good news. They they specifically yeah. know that you are the food bringer and they can recognize yeah. you versus someone yeah. else. That's crazy. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. And then so so what what is it like? Like, I don't know how to phrase this question. I, I wasn't prepared to talk about turtles, but now, now <laughs> I'm fascinated with the turtles. So we're going to get into it a little bit. Um, I assume it's similar to breathing most other reptiles you're, you're pairing them you're kind of waiting for the right time of year do you need to uh brewmate turtles of course depends on the species yeah uh, there, there are many tropical species that live close to the equator so they they experience less of a season but most of the species i keep i, I keep like i keep animals from tropical indonesia okay you know the, so i have one room with tropical animals so not as a significant difference between seasons um temperature drop is not extreme only some light and and, and uh, rain season whatever uh, so and i have a room with species from southeast uh, china okay and those specifically southeast china yeah yeah the Shanxi and the guangdong region a bit of hong kong okay and, all are found. All, all the species I keep there are found in the same type of habitat. Also, that's hill stream, um, mountainous regions. Because I love the type of habitat. I still want the hill stream aquarium somewhere in the reptile room to fit in with the theme. Yeah. But um, those definitely brewmates, and they are almost done now. You know, and just getting them out. Uh, what's What's interesting with a lot of turtle species is that most of the successful breeding actually happens before your hibernation mm. so so instead of you know having this typical hibernation and then um waking them up getting them to feed and then um, mating them and i keep everything separate i believe the only thing i keep together are some pairs of lantanotas and so no turtles i don't keep turtles together all, them keep separate. always separate Always separate. Yeah. Even females? Will you keep two females? Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they might not show the, the 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 obvious signs that they are not okay with each other, but they will show subtle signs that they are having some form of stress or there's a there's competition there. So they are wow. always in a different corner of the setup. Um, feeding, it's always the same one starting feeding. I have seen them biting two to limbs. And yeah. of course, um, some of the species I keep currently, like the Kuora, those um, only lay one or two eggs, at least the Gabini fronts and the Picturata. Um, and they, yeah, if there's another female there, there's a great chance they get damaged or eaten by the other female. So that's why I keep everything separate. Yeah, one of them gets dominant. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And there's actually a lot of species of turtles that are kept in groups. And as soon as you separate the females, the fertility rate goes like through the roof. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So yeah. So you're saying so so some so some species you 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 pair them before you cool them. Yeah. Yeah. The cicalia and the platystanon uh, also uh, geoemida. I don't, don't keep those, but those are very popular. The Vietnamese 
black-breasted leaf turtles, I believe they are called. Yeah, those ones um, are very popular as well. Yeah, very popular. Understandable, like this size per, for your polydarium, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, those all the the most successful matings happen before the hibernation. So you have a shorter window, I would almost say, because you're cooling down, but in the meantime, you're going to combine them. You got to make sure they have the perfect weight. And so, but that's really fun. And that's also the reason why I dove into turtles a few years ago, because it's added to challenge mm -hmm. and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you find them more challenging than, than uh, lizards added challenge? You said, well, how do I say this? The only lizards I've bred with, is plantanotus so i'm okay. spoiled in, in in that regard yes okay um, you know i haven't kept uh I, all those years mostly i kept snakes and a few lizards on the sides okay. of course a gecko egg here and there but it don't count yes so, uh, um yeah but I, I would say they are more challenging but that's maybe also because again a lot of people can still keep a lot of their turtles and tortoises together while a lot of species prefer to be separate at least the species i keep yeah timing could be a thing a lot of them have bigger ranges than we think they have so seasons differ so yeah yeah so it's still a lot to learn there to, to me it's a bit more challenging i'm sure there's a lot of people that are like uh you know, it's easy. Yeah, 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 yeah. No yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's all experience as well, right? And and yeah. and reading information sometimes is is like it's always good to read it, but sometimes it's useless in your situation, and you kind of need to figure out what's working in your room and in your temperatures and your mm. humidity and all that stuff. Mm. But okay, so you you said something very interesting. You said you have two rooms. One is sort of tropical Indonesia. One is Southeast Asia. Yeah. So that I I. I love that you've done this. I think it's fascinating that, you know, so you kind of have the whole rooms probably set up at one temperature. Do you, if you need to brewmate the, the South, uh, South, South China, Southeast China uh, mm -hmm. room, um, do you, so, so is that how it works? Do you just cool the entire room or are you cooling every, every animal separately? Uh, yeah, I, I cool the entire room and I even used to hibernate slash brewmate the animals in the room. Um, the so, so they were still in their setup, still in their water, and they were all separate, and they just hibernated in there. So the whole life cycle and the temperature up and down, they they always um, experienced that of the last years in their setup, in their in in there. So the nothing changed for them. The problem is is that I got some species now, one or two, that also need a cooling but not that extreme and, and probably not as long yeah yeah and you know with some species uh, i don't know if, uh, if it's at your place but if we look at our seasons our seasons go like slow like this you know you have a summer and spring and some of the species i have you go like nice warm weather winter yeah, you know? yeah like, <laughs> it just drops yeah yeah just that, that sounds like canadian winter okay one morning okay. you wake up and it's like snow everywhere and it's very cold and that's just how it is yeah <laughs> yeah surprise like, yeah, yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, that, that that's an issue and also i used to i made use of our own season you know the, the temperature drop in our winter the problem is that our winters are a lot less cold they are too warm our winters are too warm yeah. they are super wet but they are too warm and uh, they are fluctuating too much. So you can have 
like we had a few days of really nice weather over the last uh, week. So everybody woke up and um, there's a good chance that in March we'll have snow. So right. that's that's not really a yeah, that's not really working anymore. So some species like the Sakalia, um, those need pretty cool temperatures to actually stay in hibernation. Otherwise, they get active again from like 10, 12 degrees uh, Celsius. They get active again. So those are now hibernated in a in a thermostat controlled uh, yeah, refrigerator. Cooler. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the 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 animals that need it longer and cooler. Um, yeah. you're, you're taking out separately. And then yeah. what, what about the ones that do that you do keep in the room and then hmm. they, they wake up and you said, oh, it might snow again in March. Do they brewmate again or is it just kind of messing up their cycle now and they don't know what to do or, or, or how do you deal with that situation? I, I, I still control the light cycle and the, and okay. the, the basking spots they have. And uh, of, of course, I have to like everybody nowadays, almost I have the LED lights, the UV lights and my basking spots. And I also have um, like uh, general uh, lights on the, on the ceiling of my, on, of my reptile rooms. So my, my lighting cycle goes in four stages. First, the room lights, then UV and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so once the animals start to get active, that's a cue for me to start with the light cycle and give them a few hours of basking. And then they will have a drop in the night temperature, but that's that's okay. That's what they naturally would, would also mm -hmm. endure. But I make sure that there's like a baseline so they can start digesting and stay active. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feed it all? You just said digesting. Do you feed it all during this time? Uh, yeah, but much less. Okay. And uh, smaller items and not directly really, really fatty, more fiber. Okay. Um, stuff like that. No fruits or stuff like that. All, all, that's, um, all those items, that's more for like the end of the summer, if they even get fruits. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just gonna jump back to that to the turtles that are that that breed before before brumating because this is interesting mm. to me. Do they come out of brumation sort of ready to go with the eggs and they're about to lay them, or is it they brumated now they're they're done they start eating again now they start forming the eggs? So is there still a period between brumation and egg laying? Uh, yeah, there's still a, a period, so it can take two, two to three months. Because it seems like the the, the development starts after the brumation. But somehow most of the successful matings uh, are are before brumation, and I'm still that's still um, like info I'm trying to figure out and what works and what doesn't work. So this is also based on the experience of the people I've spoken with because yeah, I, I do have really cool species. Yes, um, you do, and and I do uh, have have luck breeding a bunch of those cool species, but all my animals are captive bred. So it's all been done before. So I'm I'm just repeating what what the people before me did and giving it my my own twist. But it's still for me is figuring that out. So uh, yeah, I, I I know I do know that if I don't have copulation before hibernation, I get infertile eggs the next year with my Kuora and my Sakalia. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So you said you just said it yourself. You have really cool species. What I over here would consider rare, really rare species, like I've never even seen uh, um, an earless monitor in person. Mm -hmm. Never, not once. <laughs> um, not at a show, not at anybody's collection, like at least here in Canada, not that I know yeah. of. Um, and nor have I heard of really people breeding them 
like successfully. So recently I've seen some pictures pop up from a place. Um, I can't remember the name of the store, but it seems like it's a, a reptile store in the States that successfully did it. Mm. Other than that, I haven't really seen much. And then um, shout out Flo. Um, we were talking before before he came on the on the episode and he, he was telling me about your channel. I checked it out and you you're breeding them like it's it's you're 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 like uh, specifically yeah specifically talking about earless monitors but not just earless monitors you're breeding a lot of or you're breeding quite a few really rare cool species so i guess my question for you is basically is what do you think that if anything what do you think that that you are paying attention to if there's any details that you are paying attention to that you think other people are missing and that's why you're successful at breeding these rare species if anything <laughs> I, honestly i don't know if i really do anything specific that that makes it stand out like like i said i work with captive bred animals and it helps a lot you know you know the the lantanotus in europe and also in the states is, is bred but in europe i can i can at least name five or six or seven people who breed them uh, every year so it's it's you know and as i mentioned mine are captive bred too and that makes it a whole lot easier when the Lantanotus were first here and, and, and in zoos, a lot of people had issues with them because they weren't captive bred animals and they simply did not adjust as well, it seems. Like with a lot of, you know, wild animals. Like, like I'll give you like an example, hmm. um, like uh, Stenodactylus, for example. Hmm. Um, I, I, I tried, and I've said this before, but I, and I, and I don't know if, if what I'm saying makes sense or yeah. if it's legit the reason or if it's just a, a placebo and why. Anyway, so my point is um, I've been breeding them for three years now. So I've started to sort of experiment to figure things out. And um, one thing that I'm thinking that I'm starting to point a finger towards because I've brumated them, no difference. I brumated them and not brumated them, no mm. difference with egg production. I've done a lot of different things, but then... Mm. I lessen the amount of times I spray them per week. And so their humidity dropped drastically because they're a very dry, dry, hot species. It's the dwarf sand geckos I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, uh, once I picked up the spraying again, once I started spraying them as frequently as I was last year, hmm. now they're all back to laying on a regular schedule. So I don't know if it's that, but it's like, I feel like that small factor could have been what yeah. affected it. So. Yeah, sometimes just wondering if like if there's something specific that you think you're doing that, but yeah, anyway, it could it could be nothing. It could be it could be it could be you're just a very talented breeder. <laughs> no, 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 that's that's not the case. I'm very lucky, that's for sure. But um, um, I I think with if we if we if we speak specifically about the Lantanotus, yes, it is it is. I did. Temperature is a big, big factor. They, they come from an environment which is close to the equator. And then they also, within that, you know, environment, they also live in a, in, in a microhabitat that's, you know, very specific when it comes to temperature and humidity. And there, there's not much uh, change in there. So I would say for, for Lantanotus especially, is stability is probably one of the most important things. And... Uh, a good friend of mine also breeds them. That's how I got introduced to, to keeping them. Um, and his breed a little bit earlier than mine, like a month or two earlier, actually. A lot of my eggs hatch uh, months later than his. And I think that has to do because he keeps them in a basement. 
and where he controls everything, including temperature. Temperature of the water is always the same, but the basement temperature, of course, uh, differs a bit depending on the season, but it's pretty warm there. And with me, they are in a room that is still, the, the nighttime drop is a little bit more prevalent. And uh, I have a big window in that room. So also the light cycle, even though I control it in my setup, has some impact. So I feel like at a certain uh, temperature, you know, a little bit higher, but not too high. They don't like too high temperature. So it's 26, 27 degrees Celsius is warm enough. And um, when the light, the light hours reach like 12, 13 hours, and also when I start misting, they always become more active. Mm-hmm. Both with feeding and you know seasonal differences activity, there's there's a big change there. So as soon as I start misting, the activity arises. That's but I but I wouldn't say that the misting is for me the biggest factor because the misting um, increases during, like in a month, I will increase it a little bit more. But it's it's not like um, consecutive enough or or routine enough. To say that's the what that's the big reason, yeah, yeah, and, and I guess for them you're also keeping them in paludariums, right? So they yeah. have constant access to water. Where yeah. I mean, the Sanitaxis have a water bowl as well, so it's constant yeah. access to water. But the the air dries out, and I yeah, and but they they do notice uh, as soon as I start misting because there's a lot of plants. I I've I try to add as many plants that are found in Borneo in the setup because that's awesome to me. That's that's you know. Uh, uh, fun perfect to, biotope, yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's just fun to do and a nice challenge. Um, those plants I missed, and as soon as I missed, there's activity, you know, they, mm-hmm. they poke out their noses. And they are, I gotta be honest, I think uh, Lantanotus will never be a super popular animal to keep because there's water involved. A lot of reptile keepers are actually not fond of that. Uh, you said, sorry, water, right? Yeah, there's water, water, water. yeah. yeah yeah involved um and filtration sort of a lot of reptile keepers are they don't don't want the hassle and where was i going with this and they are cool when you see them but you don't see them often no they're like the you, you know those uh i was gonna ask coolies? you this question next those are you know those uh, um Indonesian, the coolie, the coolie yeah, lotus. Coolie, coolie lotus. Yes, so, yes, yes, yes. A, a fun, a fun fish. There are many cooler fish. A fun fish, but it, it's not necessarily that's a really fun fish to keep. But when you see it, you're like, oh, there it is. Look how cool that fish is. Yeah, 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 yeah. such a cool fish. If you yeah. see it every day, you're like, oh man, you're way too active and nervous, you know. So, yeah. So, and I think the lantanotis is a little bit like that because often I'm looking at a nicely planted and decorated setup. I want to give them bigger terrariums simply because I want to put more plants in there. Yeah. Um, but you don't really see them every time. No, no, no. If I want to see them, I need to go at night, put a flashlight on there. Okay. Um, if I'm feeding by day and I'm feeding not in the morning, but uh, close to the evening, they will become active. Maybe when I miss, they poke out ahead. But in general, yeah, you don't really see you them. You don't see them. Yeah. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe we, we, I've been, I've been teasing that we'll talk about them all, and we sort of have already talked about them. But maybe let's get completely into them. Um, they're fascinating species. I had no idea. That was one of my questions for you, by the way. I was going to ask you, like, how 
how often are they out on display or if they're hiding species. But um, maybe let's get into them. How big do they get? And maybe can you run us through sort of the 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 setup, like how you keep them? Yeah, for sure. Um, let's start with the animals itself. Of course, they are found in certain areas on the, in Indonesia, Borneo, and uh, they are sometimes compare them with salamandra because they also live in these these hill stream um, uh, habitats where there's like so, oh sorry i'm lost it there the reason i sometimes compare them with salamandra is because they they live in these sort of streams and they also live in the hills surrounding them or in the in the structures surrounding them so yes they are aquatic but it's not really like they are in deep water at least okay. that's the info I found. I've, I've tried. Yeah. There's not a lot of info, and uh, the pictures you see in some groups are often of animals that are, of course, caught and then placed in a nice setting, and then the picture is made. Yeah. Uh, but the videos I've seen when they are found, yes, they are found in water, but they often are in like these these muddy areas, a lot of vegetation, a lot of leaf litter, and they are hiding in caves and in between there. So that's also what I try to try to replicate. So they, they live very hidden and they are mostly active during the night. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way I keep them is I have them in an aquaterrarium, paludarium, uh, however you want to call it. It's uh, 120 centimeters long, 60 centimeters deep and 50 centimeters high. The water height is about 12 centimeters, something like that. Okay. Some people keep them a little bit more shallow, a little bit deeper. I have to say that most keepers I know keep an animal or a pair in the extraterra 90 centimeters. Okay. Which in let my me, opinion is a bit too small. Let me quickly do a hold on 90 yeah, centimeters sure. 2 inches. <laughs> oh sorry. Oh sorry. the the 36 okay yeah yeah sorry. Okay, yeah, so yeah. The, the, one of the bigger ones. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, but still there's a small setup. How big does the animal itself get? Sorry, I don't know if you mentioned this. Yeah, no, I haven't mentioned it yet. I would say about, you know, literature, temperature, difference a bit. The tail um, body length is about 50-50. So they are around 50 centimeters. Okay. Some cool. animals are a bit smaller. Some are a bit bigger. There are a few males that get a little bit bigger, more bulkier than the female. So it's not huge, but it's yeah. still, you know, okay sized animal. And you... you I think the problem with a lot of animals that are active by night is that by day, they, you don't see them move. So you're like, oh, you don't need that much space. But as soon as you see Lantanotus hunt and how fast they are in the water, you're like, oh, you need more space. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. but um, yeah, a lot of people keep them in those. And uh, I heat the water to 25 degrees Celsius. So that's like my baseline. And in summer, the water gets a little bit warmer. That's also when the mating happens more. And the male will court the female a long, long time. He will lay with her constantly. So you, you will sometimes see copulation, but he's with her uh, way more uh, courting, it seems, than they are actually copulating. Do you so, keep them together year round? Or yeah, I have to say I keep, the, keep them together year round, male, female. Um, I've started to separate females from each other. Okay. Because I have a feeling that also the females, especially when they are gravid or developing eggs, they are not, there, there is some stress among them. I don't see any fighting, but there's some stress. And one of the ways you can notice that is that the animals are laying on the land more and more. 
So you don't directly see any any combat. I've seen that with males, it goes pretty hard. But uh, with the females, this is more subtle. Again, this is with the turtles a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I create. I have a lot of cork tubes in the in the water area, and the cork tubes are like 50-50 underneath water, underneath uh, uh, or above the surface. And I have them a little bit at an angle, so the animals can lay in there, and they often then just stick out their heads above the surface while their body is in the water in that tube. So they spend like most of their time in the water then yeah yeah the, the, when i see animals on on the land area more is when there's some form of, of stress it seems so when i have more animals together um, there's always one or two they are more on the land and as soon as i keep them separate also males uh, and also females as soon as i keep them separate or prepare they are way more in the water there's obviously more or when the water temperature gets too high then they also get out of the water so yeah. that's, uh, and, and I did it and I noticed that because I had a male in a setup that was like up high and the temperature of course builds up and that setup was turned out way warmer and he was always on land as soon as the temperature dropped a bit he was in the water again yeah yeah interesting interesting okay and then so you said they need like a baseline temperature year-round and they're close to the equator so that means mm -hmm. you do, they're in the room that you don't roommate I'm assuming yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in the tropical room. Yeah. Okay, perfect. And yeah. so how, how, um, I don't know how to phrase it. Is it like a seasonal thing breeding them still? Like, is it once a year, um, they kind of, yeah. uh, they pair up and then several months they lay eggs. And yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. And what, uh, how many eggs do you usually get and what temperature do you incubate them at? Uh, the, uh, let's see. I have had clutches of, four, six, and 11 with my animals. And that was actually the first year was the most productive year. The year after only one female laid eggs. And this year, or 23, um, a few females that I kept together while they were gravid actually laid in the water. So that's again why I started separating them. Because mm. I felt like, um, but there are also keepers. I, I know there are keepers in, in, in Europe um, that had several gravid females together and they actually laid in the same spot and uh, yeah and there was one person who had a clutch of like 16 or a bit more eggs so this wow. is pretty and the eggs are pretty big um it does depend a bit on the clutch how uh, how big the eggs are and uh, my good friend who also breeds them my young are often way bigger as his but my females lay less eggs as his females and his females are also a bit smaller. So, yeah. So and his I, females give you give you more eggs, but they're smaller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. interesting. And my young are obviously bigger as his. So mine are two months older, and uh, they're pretty much the same size as his while they have been feeding and growing. Wow. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I incubate them at around twenty six degrees, twenty five and a half. So on on the colder side. Yeah, not not too it's warm. It's not warm. Yeah. No, no, no. That's that's the temperature I was advised. That's where I incubated them at, and that's where I have success. So yeah. I, of course, with these animals, I'm not I'm not at the stage yet that I have so many eggs with them that I'm like, okay, let's try. Let's experiment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's that sh it should be done eventually, and I, I I'm getting some more females so that maybe we can try something. Um, and uh, incubation takes about 90 days to 110 days, something like that. 
something like yeah. that. I'm very bad with keeping you you should but but writing things down. So I just make pictures and if I want to know how long it has been, I just you, look at the picture when it was made. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's how it works. I do the same thing. And then yeah. sometimes I like I'll sell an animal and and someone will message me like three months later, like and they'll be like, Oh, do you have the the hatch date of the hmm. animal? And like hmm. realistically, no. But if I go through my pictures, I take a picture anytime something hatches. I like yeah. take the first one of the first things I'll do is like I'll take a picture of it. So I'll be like, okay, give me like a few hours. I'll go through the pictures. I'll find, <laughs> I'll find yeah. specifically that one when it hatched. But yeah, that's that's uh, keeping records is highly advised. Always a good idea. Absolutely. I'm horrible at it, <laughs> especially with animals like this. I do have to say what what you said. I I, I can't do that because I have to keep track, uh, active administration of all the sizes animals I keep. Uh, all the animals I keep, I breed when they were uh, born. Um, if I sell them, I need to uh, uh, have administration of who I sold it to. I have I need to have a copy of where it went to, and they need to have a copy for me, and I need to have history, whatever. So uh, for that reason, I know when they hatched. But again, I will use my pictures as a reference. As I don't reference. really yeah. Yeah, write dates. That's yeah. interesting. I kind of wish that we, we had to do a little more like that here. Mm -hmm. um, a for just the the you know the the lineage of the animals. I think if if that was being done that way, we could keep better track. And yeah. B, I think that would just help me keep better track. And and I think that's also important, right? Um, what about what about um yeah these these animals are fascinating. What what about um, uh, feeding? So they're they're mostly they spend most of their time in water. Um, yeah. Are you still like what uh, are you still feeding them like? What do you feed them? I'm not even gonna guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you think? Let's let's. What do you? Yeah. Think? Well, so so I I I'm, I assume they're insectivores to a certain degree. So you're feeding them probably like bugs and stuff. But I wonder if they'll also take like fish or um I, 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 maybe a, a bigger female will take like a pinky mouse or something. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. What what what? Yeah, what am I wrong? Yeah. <laughs> no 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 no. Okay. I, I would say that uh, there are some uh, keepers who pretty much 99% feed with uh, worms, like mm -hmm. the uh, uh, dendrobenas and the uh, Canadian night crawlers. Yes. Um, the night crawlers are, those are big favorites. If I have an animal that doesn't want to feed, I, I put those in. Those are always- It's because they're Canadian. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know of any other reason why they- <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think it's because they're like night crawlers and because I, I found the same thing. I think it's mm. because they're so prominent all over the world that wherever you dig in the soil, you see something that sort of yeah. looks like it. So, you know, but anyway, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, that's great. I haven't actually, I never thought about it. And now you say that that makes total sense. Yeah, I think, I think that's what it is. Sense. Yeah. Um, so, so th those are always, um, but you can vary a lot more. I actually have small fish with them, the Bororas brigites, because they are found around the same area. More Smart. of an uh, experiment, and uh, that goes well. But as soon as I put something a bit bigger in there, I've tried chocolate gouramis or maybe an algae eater. Um, some algae eaters are fast enough, but if they're not, they, they will eat get eaten. They oh, that's eaten. so cool. Yeah, for sure. That's and so cool. I, that's what also why... Because I have the turtles, I feed them with sh shrimp, mussel, um, fish. So I will try that with my lantanotus too. And especially the fish, uh, the spearing, I believe it's smelt in English. Smelt, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't feed them too much. 
um, because of the nutrients, but I, I try to vary and I give them plenty of other stuff. So those they will definitely eat. I actually have a, a video on my Instagram. If anybody wants to see it, you see me hand feeding them the, the smelt and they, they absolutely love it. And they can take down pretty big prey. You know, they are monitor lizards, so they yeah. will try to take down pretty big prey. I know of people who feed their, uh, especially females with uh, pinky mouse. Yeah. I don't do that too much because I feel like I already give them plenty of fatty and calcium rich food items. Uh, young ones, I start up with worms again, but I will also try uh, crickets. So I just grab a cricket with my thongs and put them halfway in the water. And if they are active and hungry enough, they will take those. Um, shrimp, they have fat, but not like only when they're hungry, you know, and uh, mussel, they will also eat, but again, only when they're hungry. So, yeah. And I'm sure there's way more items. I think if like crayfish or something, I haven't tried it yet. I was going to ask. But you, I'm yeah. sure like... Um, maybe the neocaradina, the japonicas, those those are often those are found. probably too small. Could, could no? be, yeah. yeah. Maybe for maybe, the young ones. Maybe for the young ones, or, or like something yeah. like an amano shrimp, and a large size yeah. amano shrimp, they might be able to take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Fascinating. I just want. I really want. I keep. Uh, I keep a lot of mountain dragons, hmm. and a lot of them are in paladariums, and all of them have different types of fish in the paladariums cool. because I just want one. To eat a fish and none of them have you. Mm. <laughs> so I, I really, yeah, I, I, I think the the idea of watching a lizard catch a fish is fascinating to me, and I would really like to see it. I would love to see it in in my house as well, like in captivity. Mm. But yeah, do they? Because my Shinosaurus, I I also fish with them. The um, the uh, white cloud minnows. White cloud minnows, yeah. yeah, yeah, because they are again in same similar habitat as Shinosaurus, and uh, Shinosaurus will leave them alone. If the water is deep, as soon as I do a water change, which I don't do too often, but as soon as I do a water change and they see the movement in the shallow water, they will go for them. Interesting. They will definitely go for them. And I, they, I have also seen that with bigger fish. I had uh, some type of goby that's also found in Asia, very, very active. And um, I had them with the Shinosaurus. They left them alone, but as soon as the water drains, they saw the movement and they were triggered and it will go after them. That's interesting. I have them without, I'm looking at it right now. It's probably about four or five inches of water. Okay. okay. Is that, uh, which is 10 ish, I think centimeters. Yeah. Something uh, like that. yeah. So, so if, if I, you think if I drain it, they'll go after the, after the, I have guppies in this one. Specifically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but maybe I need something bigger too. I don't know. I don't know. Could be, uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating. That's fascinating. Okay, so you, you mentioned the babies. You started them off on worms yeah. and stuff like that. Um, is there any care differences for the babies? Are you keeping them in the same type of setup, uh, same temperatures, all of that? Or is there anything that you have to do different to kind of um, like strengthen their 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 first couple of years? Oh, and also, um, you, you mentioned you incubate at 25 degrees temperature. Uh, 25, 25 degrees temperature. 25 degrees Celsius. Um is there a, um, a sex dependency on temperature? Like, are you getting a 50-50 ratio or do you not know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, th that's a very good question. Uh, I'll, tell, I'll tell you why. I, I will start with the care. Okay, sure. Yeah, go the, ahead. The care of the young is pretty much the same as the adults. Okay. Um, you just do it smaller. I like to raise all my animals separately. 
because of control and if somebody buys an animal i can give them the animal which i know that's doing best or give them a specific animal because it's from a different clutch or, or something like that i do that with almost all my animals because it's possible for me with the type of animals i have mm -hmm. um but i think next year because the problem with that is i mostly have them at room temperature and as soon as my room temperature drops that small body isn't able to retain as much heat as an adult body can so they they will notice the fluctuations more and it impacts their feeding behavior right absolutely um so for instance during this time of the year i i need to keep that in account so uh, from next year i have built a space where i have a few of the exoterra loaves uh, with the small water and then i will keep them the same as the adults but i will keep them per clutch okay and then because then i can uh, better control of the water temperature better control of their amount of hiding and the light that impacts them so i, I want to keep more and more of my hatchlings um as naturalistic or as close to how i keep the adults as possible awesome yeah uh, but again, in the basis, it's pretty much the same. And they are not difficult to get started. At least okay. in my experience is after a week, maybe 10 days, they will start feeding. Yeah. It's no and, problem. I'm going to interrupt really quickly. Sorry, just, yes. just something that's... Are, are they skittish? Are they... Do they... Can you reach in and grab one of the babies or even it, one of the adults? Or are they like, don't touch me? Oh, the adults, they will stay still. And then all of a sudden, they will turn around and bite you. And yeah. they hold on and they do the death roll. And okay. they, 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 they you sometimes you can hold, but you, you, you're like, you know, like this, you're not actively Simba. making contact with them. You're just moving them and right. You're just kind like of you're, scooping them. Yeah. 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 Like I'm a tree, okay. something yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 As soon as you put any restraint on them, they dislike that so much. They, okay. they really don't like it, which is logical for animal that lives so reclusive and, um, and they are also very sensitive. Also, when they hunt, it's a little bit of sidetrack, but when they hunt, their eyesight isn't that great. So often they will move towards a worm and they can feel that worm moving and they also smell it. They use their tongue like a monster does underwater, which is absolutely insane to see. Um, but as soon as they touch it, they know where it is. They are very sensitive and they will move around and spot the worm exactly. So I think that's also one of the reasons the young when you hold them they will act like a little bit like they're dead you know they they look like a small leaf or twig or piece of that wood and they will act like that and the first time i made a video with my captive bread i actually had people commenting thinking they were dead that i was like showboating with that um captive oh sorry it's my ATO captive bread Lantanotus, but they were alive. You could, you can feel their tail like making contact because they can use their tail a little bit. Um, and again, if you restrain them, they will try to bite. That's crazy. Also, the baby ones, it's so funny. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. And then the other uh, question you had, which is a really good question, is that when it comes to sex ratio, that's, I think, something that needs to be. Um, investigated a little bit better I have to be honest that I have a certain group and I tend to sell my young because I have other animals I want to buy or space or whatever you know the impatient reptile keeper uh, person 
And I know there's a lot of keepers who kept a lot of their young, and it's all females. There, there are a few people. Interesting. Yeah, there are a few people that say like, I can't get a male. I only know one or two persons who had a young that turned out to be male. But I also have a friend. Um, we kept six, and I believe there were five males. Hmm. So, but sexing them is also not that easy. You know, it's 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 a lot of comparison. You and, have to and wait till they're a certain age as well. Yeah, yeah, same yeah. as with like Shinisor. There are people that say that if, if they turn them around, um, one of the persons who, who got them um, from the start, uh, <laughs> he, he, he says that he can see the difference by their tails or the shape. And you can see some difference, shape of the head, positioning of the eyes, uh, lower jaw, the way that's shaped uh, yeah. along the body. And, but, but, then you have to have comparison. Yeah, you have to see them side by side to yeah, be able yeah, to pinpoint for it. Sure, for sure. Yeah. And still then, at least to me, it's not it's not as easy. So you also look at behavior and yeah. So, but it's a good question. Uh, not one I know the answer to, but there are a lot of keepers that say I only get females, and they all incubate at the same temperature you do. That's the advised temperature I know of, and what I've asked them, they also go around those days, and they seem to have the uh, temperature around the temperature, and they seem to have the same incubation periods per clutch as other keepers, other breeders. <coughs> so why that is, I'm not sure yet. Yeah. Know. That's fascinating. Are they uh, uh, are they a blackwater species? Yeah. Like do they prefer high tannin, high tannin waters and all that? Yeah. Yeah. And pH, what I found is that the pH in their natural range isn't even that low. Like some a lot of them are found in, in neutral pH. Because it's moving water. Yeah. 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 So it's you know, fed from the mountains and that yeah. has impact. But um, there's not like a lot of for instance, in Southeast Asia, China, where a lot of my turtles and the Shinisaurus come from, that's all filtered to car karst uh, stone and limestone. Okay. So there's a great impact on the on the hardness, on the amount of minerals mm -hmm. in the water, and that's far less with the lantanotus. So their uh, their water is much softer. Softer. So pH, yeah. yeah. pH is pretty stable, but the the water is much softer. And I also feel like if I do a lot of water exchanges with my tap water, which has a pretty high TDS, especially calcium and, of course, a bit of magnesium, that's often mo most of the minerals you find in your tap water, um, then they get um, white marks around their nose and they get shedding issues because they are constantly sticking out their nose at the surface. And that's where evaporation ha happens. Yeah. So all your mineral deposits happen around the nose and the eye it's, area and the head area yeah, yeah yeah so you you can get those issues uh with with them and those issues disappeared as soon as i stopped doing water changes so the, their water looks like a black water as soon as they move i can't make a video of them yeah. because it looks it's just a cloud it's a cloud yeah absolutely. yeah um and 
I also use reverse of Moses water if I do a water change. So I'm not adding not minerals yes. yeah. when I'm, you know, so I, I lowered it. And that has definitely helped with my animals. And I know of keepers who had the same issues. And I said, stop doing water changes, which is very counterintuitive for a yeah. reptile keeper to do. Yeah, yeah. And um, they all saw improvement of of their animals so if stuff is building up around sorry my phone keeps buzzing i apologize to everyone listening i'm gonna throw it away from the table so it stops annoying everybody <laughs> okay um so if they're if they're getting all these deposits on on their face that must mean that they're staying relatively still for long periods of time right yeah okay yeah so they're not a very active species no when they are active they are active um, I also have a video of an animal climbing because I have three front panel walls and I will climb along it and I see my plants, you know, being broken down. Yeah. Um, I cry every time it happens. Yeah. And, <laughs> and um, they, they, when they are active, they are active and they can move actively. And I've seen animals like walk around constantly during the night. But when they sit still, they sit still. Mm -hmm. they, they are just there and i actually have quite an amount i actually i also have the led lights above my setups which is counterintuitive for an animal that lives in such a shaded area but that's because i add a lot of shade with my plants and with the carp tubes and a lot of vegetation i just let it overgrow a lot yeah um and you said you do have uvb on them as well right i have the um how do, how do the, the 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 one they they started with Arcadia started with the uh, for shade the dweller? shade dweller. Thank you. That's I have I shade to. dwellers above them, but I have to be honest, I haven't changed the bulbs mm -hmm. in in a while, okay. uh, over a year. And there are keepers that say that the UV will also damage them. So this is a species that you know it lives. Um, hidden away by day, it lives on 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 the floor of of pristine rainforest. Originally, now they are also found in in palm tree uh, cultivation areas. You know, why is that? Is that because of like just deforestation? Yes. Yeah, deforestation. Seventy percent of their natural habitat is is gone, so they wow. find alternatives. And I think that's also the reason more and more people find them. It's because they simply find a they are looking for an alternative and they are found there yeah um but they, they live very so this is a species that if you don't give them uv I, you wouldn't be a bad person right. you know this is, is I, I think it's a very uh okay choice if you don't give them uv i give them like the shade dweller 50% above their land area, 50% above the water. So that's like 10 centimeters and the water area is a meter. So they, they get maybe a bit, but yeah. And I don't see them actively use it. And that's also not logical for them to do so. I'm, I give it more to them so they have the option, but that has to do more with me than that the fact that they need it. Yeah, safety precaution. They, yeah. You said, yeah, so, okay. So, so you said something interesting there you kind of leave it a little bit over water. Um, I don't know if you haven't answered this question, but if anyone listening does, because this is something I've thought about many times as well. Um, what about UVB for fish, right? Like is, is it penetrating through water? 
is UVB something that benefits completely aquatic species? You know, turtles that are mostly aquatic still come out and bask. They still use UVB. What about other species? Um, do you have an opinion on this? And anyone listening, if you have an opinion on this, send me an email, send me a message on Instagram, something. Uh, I'd love to discuss this topic. Uh, yeah. Very interesting. I don't want to say... I don't want to say too much about that because I'm not too informed on that. Um, I recently read a few discussions and saw a video about UV for corals. Salt water, corals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's because they are found in shallow, shallow reefs. And of course, a lot of the lights you see are blue. Mine is only blue at the end of the day to get some fluorescence, but the rest of the day is very natural light. Mm -hmm. um, as far as I've understand it is that uv is one of the first spectra to go when it reaches water, water so you, yeah. you have cer certain um wavelengths that go in the water and i, I don't know the exact um how it follows up to each other but yeah. i do know that uvb is 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 out of it very soon and uva goes bit deeper but also not too deep so like for instance for corals that are found at like 10 meters i believe they, they are already no longer exposed to uv okay i believe yeah. it was something like that i'm yeah. as again i don't want to say too much on that because i'm not too informed i do know that uv barely penetrates water water yeah but even then you said you said 10 meters right yeah how many of the fish like at least freshwater fish that we're keeping or um aquatic species of of reptiles semi-aquatic species of reptiles mm. keeping live in very shallow environments not mm. in there's a cricket on my floor very shallow environments not uh not 10 meters you know they're like living yeah. in like like newts and salamanders a lot of them are living in the yeah. first four or five inches of water maybe a little bit more but yeah i i, I don't know it's a it's a it's a, it's an interesting question i i, I do hope more research is done on it in the near yeah maybe some one of the listeners maybe knows and can comment because yeah it's certainly interesting in what you say now too is uh that's why i like doing these things you, you these conversations um i i believe that in uh for the asian arowanas okay yeah they, um, they're always on the top yeah and people tan them for their color with uv yes i have heard of this as well you're right yeah. they get the more reddish colors out of them by yeah. by like, giving them uv yeah yeah and it, again, is that because they naturally would need UV or is it actually a reaction of the body? Yeah. You know, it's, it, 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 we, I don't know. I really don't know. This is just another question I would ask. I, the same goes with, with our animals. They are adapted to absorb UV, but only to a certain extent. And the same with the light for plants and corals. There are certain amount of lumens or par that they, that they can handle. They are active that they can handle. And as soon as it goes beyond that range, they are mostly spending energy on protecting themselves for that light and no longer using that light. So there's a, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's, it's interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I think with the arowana specifically, I, I think you brought up a good point when you said it depends on the depth of where mm -hmm. the species hang out. A Asian arowana are surface dwellers. They eat things yeah. that come, that they're like, out, like, bugs and birds and things that are mm. outside of the water so they're always on the top layer um so they probably do need a certain higher level of uvb than than other species but also to comment on what you just said 
um, I was chatting with a friend, uh, shout out Reed, and to all the listeners, there is an episode coming. It is already recorded, but you're okay. probably going to hear this episode before that because that episode needs, I, I need to put it together and I haven't yet. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, shout out to Reed from Swift Tail Vet. I asked her sort of a similar question. I just asked her mm. about UVB in general. And she said, in her opinion, I don't know how to phrase this properly, but to, to take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, but in her opinion, no light that has been produced by any company or anything will be able to match even a small percentage of what the UVB that the sun mm. projects is. So realistically, like we're probably giving them even less than they even require, or or maybe we're not, who knows? But um, yeah, I, I, I would not be surprised. I would not be in, in, in the end. The, the, the sun is a very powerful um, energy source. Yeah. And animals have are either making full use of that free and very powerful energy source or protecting themselves against it. And yeah. our lights, we do what we can. But of course, I, I'm I'm sure we're never gonna gonna reach it. Sometimes I'm also like, but that's almost. How do I say this? In the Netherlands, we have so many cool animals. Yes. I could keep, not just, just keep them outside and know that's the perfect situation for them. But somehow I want to have animals that are from far, far away and try to do all these adaptations and uh, making, you know, so if, if you dive too deep in there, you're going to ask yourself the question, like, what, the, what, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? You know? well, yeah. But at least we're, we're trying. There's a lot of developments. And um, for me, the amount of light is also something that really changed for me. Like, in, in, I bought a light meter that simply measures lumens. That's it. Yeah. Not UV or whatever. Simply measures uh, lumens. And I went outside with the light meter. And then I went to the brightest spot in one of my terrariums at the time. Doesn't compare. Doesn't compare. Yeah. And I also it scared true. me. Like, oh, oh, I'm living in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Honestly, we are. We we yeah. live in basically in caves compared to like. For sure. Yeah. 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 So I was like, oh, this is just so. Since then, yeah, all of the lights, as Kanye would say. Yeah, uh, all of the lights. <laughs> yeah, I want them all. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I mean, like, look at all, all of these lights behind yeah. me. I, I've done the same exact test, and, mm. and I don't remember numbers off the top of my head, but I, I, I think, I feel like it was the difference of thousands, if yeah. not, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, it's, yeah. It's really yeah. extreme. It, it, was a, it was a shocking difference, yeah. For sure, and you, you, can, you can download the app on your phone. It's not as accurate, and it's by far not a, a, a good representation, because of you know the, the system that you're using but I, I would advise people to install it and just for fun go from their living room to outdoors or go from their living room to their terrarium and and then we also need to realize at least i need to do and maybe people in canada too like again we keep animals that are way closer to the equator and the difference is already humongous between me outdoors and indoors so imagine that outdoors was indonesia yeah you know it's just insane the crazy 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 yeah. difference yeah, yeah absolutely crazy of difference of all parameters too yeah light humidity uh, yeah. uh the the barometric pet pressure is probably different like everything mm. is yeah no it's, mm. it's crazy um 
But anyway, uh, Stefan, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Um, let's you. wrap it up on this on this question. Um, if you could give like, you know, one one piece of advice to reptile keepers all over the world, of like what what would you like to see, sort of like the direction the hobby takes, you know, advice or hope or or one of those things. What what would you say? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm the one that should answer that because this is a question <laughs> I keep asking myself. Like, what direction do I want to go? Is this it? You know, that's always the question. Is this it? And can I do better? Um, I, I've said one of the things is just simply enjoy it because it's 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 incredible. You know, you can get so much out of it. I I uh, owe a lot to this. You know, that I've said that before. Um, so so yeah, simply enjoy it and. I think that learn from other people's mistakes because you learn from mistakes, but you don't have, all, you have to make all of them yourself. You can learn from other people's mistakes. And one of the biggest mistakes I've seen people make, and I've made myself not once, probably twice or more, is that we, we talked about it. This hobby is so incredible and there's so much to explore and we want to explore all of it. And I can tell you now, you will never be able to explore it all. Yeah, yeah. Even a small percentage you're not going to reach if you're really going to look at how big this is. Again, some of the questions you asked today, not all of them could be answered straight away. And that's in the one and a half hours. Yeah, of course. Um, so I would say, and, and, and a lot of the keepers have gone that way i've done it too i want to keep them all i i want to i have a, a, a cobra species i want to keep all the asian cobras yeah something yeah. like that and i do the same i have the ceratophora tenenti i want all the agamids from sri lanka yes yeah and then it and everybody that does that hits the wall i have too many i need to stop i have too many i need to stop or F, I missed that clutch because I weren't paying attention. Yeah, or I have 10 animals from 10 different regions and all of them need a dimper temperature and there's a cooler and there's a heater and there's this much light and there's the night temperature. And I, I, I would try to prevent you, you go that way. You will enjoy the hobby way more. You won't hit a wall. You will keep enjoying it. And um, yeah, I, I plea for a reptile room with animals from the same climate if, if there's uh, something yeah i i so i actually that that's probably one of my biggest takeaways from this episode mm. i love that you've done that um i think it's a very good idea i think more people need to be start thinking about the general ambient temperature and ambient humidity in the room rather than in one individual environment um you you also mentioned that the in your uh lanthanotis uh enclosures you try to put as many plants from borneo i love that concept of like the biotope of like you know, try to keep it as symmetric as possible. Um, but yeah, that's that's all. Everything you just said is is awesome advice. Um, and 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 I, I think I think a lot of people need to be to be watching Terrarium Channel. They need to be learning from Stefan. Go check him out, <laughs> Stefan. Seriously, uh, man, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. I, I know this is a Friday night for you, and you still made no time problem, to, no to, to come on. But um, can you let everybody know where they can find you? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, the, the Terrarium channel on YouTube is where I post videos. I'm not that regular at the moment, but 
I will get we're, back we're to gonna, it. We're going to get him there because we need to see more content from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next one will actually be either Lantanotus or about the Reptile Room. So one of those two. Do it. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. And um, also the, under the same name on Instagram. That's, yeah. uh, that's about it. I'm very bad at plugging my, my channel. But uh, I should do it more. I actually have a goal. I actually can I say the goal? Absolutely. Please do say your goal. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I have been doing this since I started end of eighteen. So let's say nineteen, and it has changed a bit. I haven't been, you know, life changes. But I am now at seven thousand subscribers as nice. of this moment. I want to be at ten at the end of the year. Okay. That's and I'm going to do. And I know that's going to de depend on me mostly. But if you can help, that would be great. If I'm not gonna reach the ten, it's done. You're not gonna keep going. No. Okay. No. So, so, so this is. I love this ultimatum, guys. Yeah. Personally, I need to see more of the Terrarium channel online. Oh, thank you. So please help me make sure <laughs> that Stefan gets to ten k by the end of the year. Also, I love that you have a goal. Um, mm -hmm. I, I need to do the same thing. I, I'm current. I, I'm a much lower numbers. I'm about to hit three k. My goal is five k by the end of the year. But I think. The only way to get to this goal hmm. for both me and you, my friend, is consistency. So you got to upload more videos. We're looking forward to it. But everybody, please go give Stefan a subscribe to his YouTube channel. Follow him on Instagram. Those links will be in the description. Thank you. You are missing out if you're not. Um, and 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 like you said, you're, you're showing content on your reptile room, your animals, but you're also going out there. You're showing different collections in Europe. So um hmm majority of you guys I, I see analytics i know where you guys are from <laughs> the majority of you guys are from the us or canada so this is completely different something we're not seeing all the time um yeah i i could keep rambling about this for days but i really really enjoyed your channel stefan and i hope everyone else will as well go give him a subscribe stefan one more time thank you very much for coming on man i i really do appreciate it and hopefully if you're willing we can do a part two at some point i'd love to have you back on um and for sure and yeah. it was fun thank you thank you so much for having me on it was really yeah cool. for sure for sure and and yeah everyone else thank you for listening and uh you know where to find me daffy's reptiles on all on all social media channels channels platforms daffy's reptiles on all social media platforms daffy's reptiles youtube channel i do have another channel other than this um once again i am rambling thank you all for listening and we will see you on the next one